Dear God, I thank you for all the trees that we have to breathe and everything you gave us for food. Thank you, God, for all the wonderful things you've done for our life. Thank you for guiding Joshua. Dear Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, Father we God, we just ask that you be with the global family as they navigate uh, what this means for Dear them. God, Lord, I just ask for the courage it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Bachelor Creek. Good to see everybody here today. And I'll tell you what, it was so neat to see as we're worshiping people continuing to bring up the bags of food that we laid out the challenge last week that we're trying to get a half ton of food to take to different benevolent agencies here in town. So I want to thank you for being faithful to that. And it's just beautiful to see the body of Christ in action, meeting the needs around us. And I'm so looking forward to taking these items uh, to the different agencies this week. That is, of course, after I go through them and make sure I take out any Krispy Kreme donuts for myself, okay? So, uh, but it's all going to make it there, all right? Speaking of food, all right, there was a doctor who was addressing a very large audience of people in Tampa, Florida. And he said to them, he said, ladies and gentlemen, um, all my research shows me that the foods that we allow to enter our bodies um, would have been enough to have killed most of us years ago. He said, red meat is terrible. Uh, soft drinks have all these chemicals that just eat away at your stomach lining. Chinese food is filled with all sorts of MSGs and high-fat diets can just be, can be dangerous. But he said, does anybody in here know what food it is that causes more grief and more heartache years after eating it. And the crowd was silent until this really little 80-year-old man raised his hand and said softly, wedding cake? <laughs> Happy Valentine's weekend with that. Proving it's not always what we eat that harms us, but what we allow to eat us, right? And friends, I'm here to tell you that there's probably nothing that we allow to eat us that's more diminishing and damaging to the soul of a child of God than an unforgiving spirit. We all desperately need forgiveness regardless of what you think about yourself this morning and how great and good you are we all need forgiveness but if you're like me at times even though you need it so much you're tempted to dole it out so little to others in their time of need and the reasons for forgiveness are as numerous as the stars in the sky Maybe you found out your spouse was unfaithful to you and you just couldn't bring yourself to that point of forgiving. Maybe you had a marriage that ended in divorce and it was bitter and it was ugly and they went for the jugular and they used the kids as weapons or pawns and your heart just still has a hard time forgiving. Maybe you were the victim of a crime. Maybe you were the center of the latest juicy gossip. Maybe there was a family member that died and you were in the will, but everybody cut things up and they left you with the short end of the stick. 
and money has been the reason for your unforgiving heart. Maybe a coach overlooked you. Maybe a supervisor scolded you in front of the other employees. Maybe one of those employees actually maneuvered in a way to try to get one up on you or to get you fired. And you have to go to work every day and you have to look at that person and work alongside of them. Probably all of us in here have struggled, not once, but many times, with extending forgiveness. Anybody in here can relate this morning? Maybe what I shared with you, maybe you were two or three of those circumstances that, that I shared with you. But if you've never held a grudge, if you forgive people as easily as you suck air into your lungs, it's just never been a problem for you. You're just forgive, 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 no problem, don't worry about it. Never hold a grudge. But I'm going to give you permission right now to just leave this assembly and go beat everybody to the buffet at Eugenia's, okay? If that's you, if you never struggled, then probably what I'm going to say today isn't going to help you because you've already arrived at a point, obviously, where the rest of us haven't arrived. But if this is an area of your life where you struggle, as I can sometimes struggle, let me assure you this morning, you are not alone. Some of the faithful men and women of Scripture, people that we look to as heroes, people that Scripture speaks highly of, struggled in this area. There's particularly a story about King David that's always bugged me. I like David. He's probably my favorite Bible character. I can relate to him, you know, in so many different ways. The highs, the lows, I mean, the, the, the heart after God. I mean, just all that. I can relate to David so much. But there's this story in 1 Kings chapter 2 where David's on his deathbed, all right? He's saying his very last words. And he's saying to his son Solomon, he's saying, Solomon, you need to be a man after God. Obey his decrees. Obey his commandments. Lead these people by the power of God working through you. Here's what you need to be a, a faithful, wise king. And so it's this beautiful, almost like Hollywood kind of heartwarming, farewell, goodbye, son, I love you. Here's my departing final words to you. Beautiful. And then David ruins it by something he says, his very last words before he just keels over and dies. Listen to these words, 1 Kings 2.8. Again, he's talking to Solomon, his son, who's about to be king. And he says, and remember Shammai, son of Girah, the man from Bahurim in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Parting words. The last thing he says before he dies, he gives this beautiful charge to son about obeying God, living with a heart after God. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's this one guy about 20 years ago, he talked a lot of smack to me. And I want to make sure that you arrange for him to go down in a way that's very violent and bloody. <laughs> wow. Now, even though David disappoints me when I read that about him, unfortunately, I can relate. Because I want forgiveness for me, but I want justice for everybody else. Anybody else like that? 
just kind of the way we're wired, right? Like if I'm on the road and somebody cuts me off and they show me their special finger, right? I don't feel like blessing them at that moment. That's not what I want for them. You know what I want for them? I want their tire to explode and their car to catch on fire. It's what I want right then. I don't want them to be in it just close enough to feel the heat, maybe singe all the hair off their body, but that's about it, right? Again, it's just kind of the way that we're wired. We want justice for everybody else, but God, please, 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 please forgive me. And we have a God, we have a Savior who knows us so well. He knows the hypocrisy that can be in your heart and in mine, and he addresses this hypocrisy in the Lord's Prayer. And here's what he's going to do today. He's going to connect a few dots. He's going to connect your need and my need for forgiveness with your need and my need to forgive other people who hurt us. And it's because a lack of forgiveness in the life of a kingdom member can be so harmful, devastating, crippling, and because extending forgiveness can be so godlike and life bringing, that Jesus has to address it in our daily prayer with God. Because it's more than likely, friends, a daily struggle. So here's what he says in Matthew 6 12. Very simple, very to the point. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the immediate implications of these words right here is this. You are still going to experience wounding after you enter into the kingdom. Just because you're now a member of the kingdom does not exempt you from being sinned against by others. And I wish I didn't have to talk about that. I wish this prayer didn't have to address the debts that other people owe to us. I wish I could say, if you come to Bachelor Creek, everybody's going to love you. Nobody's ever going to treat you wrong. Nobody's ever going to talk about you. It's going to be like heaven on earth if you just come here. But you know what? That's not reality. And some of us bear the wounds to prove that. And that's why we need to learn about forgiveness. Because people sin, including me. So here's what Jesus is saying in this short little succinct prayer. We've all done wrong to the Father. Forgive us our sins. And we've all been done wrong by a brother or sister as we forgive those, their debts or their sins against us. It's across the board. So I have to go to God, and I have to plead to him for him to extend forgiveness to me, and in that same breath, make myself available to be a conduit of forgiveness to those who come to me asking for forgiveness, and even if they don't come to be a conduit of forgiveness. And here's the amazing thing. We've already prayed in this prayer your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven or on earth as it is where? In heaven. So here's what we've done already. 
We've already said, God, I am making myself available to be a conduit of all the kingdom values that you want to see on earth that are already present in heaven. I'm making myself, may what's going on in heaven come true on earth, and I'm making myself available for that to happen. Allow me, Lord, to live out these virtues on behalf of you here on earth. And the two greatest virtues I see in Scripture to reflect heaven on earth are the virtues of truth and grace. You say, Solomon, how did you come to that conclusion? What makes you think those are the two greatest values? Here's why. Because it says in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus came, he came full of truth and grace. So what we're doing is, when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, as I'm saying, God, I'm making myself available to be this walking, talking, living billboard of truth and grace. And here's what Jesus is saying. You can't go around receiving grace without giving grace. You can't go around being all forgiven without forgiving people when they hurt you. That's what Jesus is saying in this, this simple little prayer. Because our whole faith is built upon the premise of forgiveness and grace without it we have nothing without forgiveness i'm still lost without forgiveness i'm still stained with my sin without forgiveness i'm still an enemy of god without forgiveness i have no hope of life after this one it all hinges on forgiveness it comes from the grace of god and I wonder how many of us regularly confront ourselves with the truth, the reality of our situation, that we are sinners. I mean, do you ever just sit and let that sink in? That I'm a sinner. I'm in need of being redeemed. I can't just pull myself up by my own bootstraps because I don't even have bootstraps to pull myself up with. I need an advocate, I need a savior. I need someone to save me because I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. Would you, how many of you agree with that statement that you are a sinner? I feel like sometimes we lose that in the American church, that we don't even acknowledge the condition that Scripture says we are definitely at. So I'm a sinner. In fact, just for good measure, let's all say that. I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, and because I can't save, my, save myself, I need a Savior. Say that with me. I need a Savior. That's the state that we are in. And apparently there's only one rule of thumb in the kingdom. And Jesus says it ever so succinctly. Here's what he says. You can have much, as much grace and forgiveness as you need, as much as you want. The only thing is that if you take it, you got to be willing to give it. That's the key. That's the one rule of thumb in the kingdom when it comes to forgiveness. In fact, here's what Jesus did. Because he was always so great at teaching a lesson, getting a point across with a story, he tells this powerful story. And I know it's a story that probably many of us have heard before in here, but I want to reiterate it again to have you see it through some fresh eyes today, okay? It's found in Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who's brother or sister catch that it's not a stranger it's not that guy or that woman 
It's the people of faith. It's the people in the family of God, the kingdom people that are on the same journey I'm on. It's my brother. It's my sister who sins against me. Up to seven times? And Peter thinks he's being really generous right here with the seven. Wow, that's kind of the ceiling of my forgiveness, Jesus. Isn't that very generous of me to forgive up to seven times? Help me draw that line, Jesus. When does forgiveness not need to happen? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus just blew the standard out of the water. In fact, there is no standard. It's you forgive every time someone violates you. And then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom, which is what we're praying for, your kingdom come. You come it comes through me and it comes through you. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. I mean, I can't even imagine that kind of money, let alone being in debt like that to somebody. He was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, didn't just extend the terms, didn't half it, canceled it all. No expectations from here on out, and he let him go. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Pretty petty compared to 10,000 bags of gold, right? A hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. By the way, word will always get back to the king. Always. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Truth is, this morning... Somebody owes you. Somebody owes me. Somebody's in debt to you. They owe you an apology. They owe you an explanation. They owe you the respect that you deserve. They owe you more honesty. But just as true as that is, when you become a child in the kingdom of God, you no longer collect on those debts. That doesn't mean that the debt might not be paid back in some form, somehow. You might get it someday, but it's not because you demand it. Here's why. 
because in the kingdom of God, the children of God refuse to be creditors. We refuse. So here's the question from this story. Is Jesus kind of teaching a give and take, conditional forgiveness? You know, that if I, if I obey God, if I follow God, if I do what he says, then he'll kind of reward me with, with what it is that I need. It's kind of you do this and I'll do that. There's a few things that we have to deal with with this text, all right? And here's the, the first thing that we have to deal with. That's the unselfishness of grace. Once you put that in your notes there, the unselfishness of grace. Because i got to remind all of us of something, okay? Entrance into God's kingdom is never based on merit. It's always based on mercy. Always. We were saved. We are saved. And we will be saved by grace. The first servant's debt was completely eradicated and forgiven, not because he deserved it, but because his master was gracious. And he wasn't expected to forgive in order to be forgiving, or to be forgiven. He was expected to forgive because he had already been forgiven. And God expects the erasing, erasing the cancellation of debt to change the hearts of his children. So remember something here, okay? Jesus is not rendering a verdict here about who deserves grace and who doesn't. Because none of us deserves grace. What Jesus is doing here is he's rendering a judgment on how to tell people who've truly received grace from those people who've truly not. So you show how much grace you've received by how much grace you're willing to give. Just like Jesus said, he who's been forgiven much, can you finish it for me? Loves much. He who's been forgiven little, what? Loves little. So grace is supposed to be this gift that just keeps on giving, right? And some of you say, but they just don't deserve my grace. They don't deserve that forgiveness. Listen, if they deserved it, it wouldn't be a gift. It's the fact that they don't deserve it, the fact that it's not merited. That's what makes it a gift. Now here's the second thing we gotta talk about. The unfairness of forgiveness. How many of you would say that forgiveness seems really unfair at times? Am I the only one who thinks that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, after all the damage that you've inflicted upon me, or you've hurt my loved ones, or you've ruined this, or you cost me this, or I had this many sleepless nights because of what you did, after all the damage, I'm supposed to just forgive you just with a few words and it's all, it's all settled, it's all under the rug, it's, that's it? Because the truth is, some of us here have been really wounded by people. Your scars are very legitimate. And in no way does forgiveness communicate this, that it was okay. 
and in no way does forgiveness communicate that I'm just going to pretend like it never happened. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have that delete button in my brain. Do you have that? Where somebody wounds you, hurts you, and just hit delete, and you never remember that wound or that action again. It doesn't work that way. So forgiveness isn't giving them a pass. It's giving them to God. Forgiveness isn't saying, eh, it's okay. It's trusting God to make it okay. And that's why Paul says we need to be careful about eye for eye, tit for tat. Here's how he says we should pray. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So we're not like all, yeah, get him, God. You, you get him with your wrath. I'm going to trust you with your wrath, God. You, you, you get him. It's a matter of just saying, God, you're the judge. You know motives. You know hearts. You know circumstances. You know details that I might, I might not even be privy to. God, you're all-knowing, and you are perfectly loving, and you're perfectly just. So I'm going to entrust this to you to deal with and measure out however you see fit. That's what that's praying. So here's what kingdom forgiveness is. It's a two-sided coin. Number one, it's giving up my right to hurt you like you hurt me. You ruin my reputation, I give up my right to go ruin yours. You inflicted financial hardship on me, I give up my right to inflict financial hardship on you. You punched me, I'm going to punch you. I'm giving up my right to do that. Other side of the coin is this. I'm now going to treat you how God has treated me through the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to forgive you as he's forgiven me. And it's not just some warm fuzzy, it's not just some emotion that I'm going to do this for you. It's based upon my personal encounter, my experience, not my need for the grace of God to cover my multitude of sins. That's what it's based upon. Not an emotion, but my real encounter with the living God. Because I'm going to tell you what, friends. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. It cost Jesus everything. His blood, his pain, his life. And while we were nailing him to the cross, he shouted out that God would forgive us. And that's why we read in Colossians 3, forgive as the Lord Jesus has forgiven you. Not forgive when they make it right, not forgive when they apologize, not forgive when they just come to you on bended knee asking for your forgiveness. Because I don't know, when I read that text, I don't read the Roman soldier saying, forgive me, Jesus, for doing this to you. Jesus, we're sorry, Jesus, we know this hurts, but we're just following orders. 
No, he preempted their actions, already determined to forgive them, regardless of what he did, they did to him. And so does the king, so does the children of the king. You know, a few years ago in our nation, we really saw this beautifully play out. I don't know if some of you might have caught the news snippets or you watched it on YouTube. I had the clip ready for you, and it sounded great on my computer in the office, but when we played it here uh, first hour, it was just a bunch of mumbled noise, and you really couldn't understand what was being said. But it revolves around uh, the, the tragic happening in the world of Olympics. You remember a few years ago, Dr. Larry Nasser, who was the, the official doctor for the women's Olympic gymnastic team, was accused of multiple accounts of molesting hundreds of girls who were entrusted to his care to be their physician. And that young lady you see there, her name's Rachel Dan Hollander. And every victim of Larry Nasser had the opportunity to stand up in a court of law and to direct their comments at this man who had brought so much hell in the lives of these young ladies. Some were vicious, some were not very gracious, which is understandable as human beings, right? But Rachel, being a believer in Jesus Christ and a recipient of his grace, as she addressed Dr. Nasser, she said, you know, you bring a Bible into this courtroom and I want you to know that that Bible that you bring says that men like you, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest waters rather than to hurt one young child. And you have hurt hundreds. But she says that's what's so sweet about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God came down, paid the penalty for our sins, and offers us grace that we do not deserve. And Dr. Nasser, if you repent, God will give you his forgiveness, as he has to me. And you need forgiveness from God. And you already have mine. What a powerful, powerful statement, friends. Justice is all about pay back. Tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Grace. Forgiveness is all about paying it forward. Here's what God did for me, so I'm going to do it for you. Nobody's forcing me. It's just a byproduct of being a child in the kingdom. It's grace, not justice. I'm not going to heaven because of justice, friends. I'm not saved because of justice. I'm saved by grace. Here's the third thing, the final thing we have to deal with with this text. And that's the unwillingness of resentment. Oftentimes, well, I would say every time, forgiveness is not a matter of can't. It's a matter of what? Won't. It's all a matter of the will. And that's what's in, that's what's in competition here. There's two kingdoms at competition. 
my kingdom, my rules, my justice, my ways, my rights, versus the kingdom of God that we're called to be citizens of first and foremost. And when I don't forgive, when you don't forgive, here's what we're proving. We are saying out loud, I don't want what's going on in heaven to be on earth because my kingdom's more important than that. You know, I'm not a professional counselor, but as a pastor, I have had many, many people sitting in my office with deep wounds and deep hurts and deep needs. And here's what I found out. So much of the satanic infection in people's lives can be traced back. If you had a marker, you could trace it back to a specific time, a life event where there was so much woundedness. And as a result of that, it's like Satan used that woundedness as this open door that he just now has poured so much sewage into the lives of one of God's children. So let it go. Let it go. How many of you remember seeing the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah. Remember in Forrest Gump, there was the childhood friend of Forrest named Jenny. And Jenny grew up with a hellish childhood in a home where she was abused. And she even prayed, God, make me into a bird so I can just fly away from all of this. And when she reached her age where she could leave home, she did. And she got lost in this world of drugs and in a world of sex and in a world of one abusive relationship after another. I mean, it's like every parent's nightmare for your child. This is what she went through. And then later on, after that season of life, she and Forrest were walking around their childhood homes. And Jenny comes to the place where she was raised, the home where all that abuse took place, and the home's now um, dilapidated, and there's nobody living in it, and all these emotions, all this woundedness, it just comes flooding back to her at this one point in time. And I want you to see how she responds. Every day we take a walk, and I'd jab her on like a monkey in a tree. And she'd listen about ping-ponging and shrimping and mama making a trip up to heaven. I did all the talking. Jenny most of the times was, was real quiet.
Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. Truth be told, it's probably good that all of us have that moment, just like Jenny did, where she could clearly identify the hurt. And we might cry, we might confide in someone, we might express it somehow that only we can. But I'm going to tell you what, folks, if it stays there, there is never going to be enough rocks. So after you identify what it is, who it is, if you stay there, you're stuck. That's why God invented this whole thing that he demonstrates beautifully called forgiveness. Forgiveness. To where you just let it go. And the amazing thing is, is that when you forgive, when your heart reaches that point where you let it go, a prisoner gets set free that day. And it's not the person who hurt you. It's you that gets released from a prison you've created around your resentment, around your wounds, around your bitterness. So here's what we're going to do. Like we do every week, we're going to gather around the Lord's table. Jesus is going to meet us there because he promises where two or more gathered in my name there I am also and this Jesus who has forgiveness in his eyes toward you and toward me he says I want you to experience my grace but in order for you to experience that grace with your hands open and receive it with those same hands open you've got to let some things go you got to let go of that person. you got to let go of that moment, of that, of that event, whatever it is that's caused your heart to be open to the sewage of the enemy, just pouring it in and in and in and in. You've got to be willing to release and to let go some of those things so that I can do what I need to do in your life. And that's available to every single one of us here today. And here's what I know. Some of you, you're going to push back because you're going to say, Solomon, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the price I had to pay. You don't know the tears that I've shed. You don't know what it cost me. And honestly, I don't. But Jesus, with the nail-scarred hands, he knows. And if nails would not keep him from praying, Father, forgive them. Then what's our excuse? children of the king members of another kingdom we do not operate or function like this world and this morning if, you, if you've never felt the touch of God's forgiveness in your life if you've never felt the power of a blood stained cross washing all your sins away but if something today has given you a taste of that a hunger of that to be right with your creator to be free and clean to have the hope of eternal life that's only available through Jesus and it's to him I call you today so if that's your desire 
We're going to sing some songs after the Lord's Supper today. And by the way, if you're not in Christ, if you've never tasted the forgiveness of God through the person of Jesus Christ, and when these emblems come, you just let them go down the aisle and don't partake. But we'd love to talk to you today about what it means to start a relationship with your creator so that you can experience the forgiveness that only he can give and empower you to forgive in a way that only he can empower you to do. So before we have our time around the table, let's talk to our father about this, okay? Father, we confess that we are sinners, that we do have debts, And we thank you for a Savior who came, who released us and forgave us all of our debts. You don't hold the past of your children against them, but you do have a future that you want us to live. So Father, we come to you admitting that we're broken people who do broken things and we hurt others and we're hurt by others. Lord, help us not to be hypocritical in that we want grace for ourselves and justice for everyone else. Help us, Lord, as we pray this prayer every day to be mindful of the great debt that we owe you and to offer that same grace to others who owe us. So, Lord, we open our hands now receive your forgiveness and to let go of the grudge, the resentment, the bitterness, the hard hearts, and we just release it in the power of the cross. I thank you for this time when, Lord Jesus, when you meet us right here, right now, to extend your grace to us. May this time empower us extend grace to others that we encounter this week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.